When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State Athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I'm talking to one of our own Land Grant Holy Land podcasters and columnists, Christopher Rennie. Christopher, as you know if you listen to our podcast, is the co-host of the Instant Recap Pod. He's also the host of the Buck Off Podcast and does our film reviews and some other things over at the site. So Chris, it's Monday evening, December 5th, and we have a lot to talk about outside of the college football playoff, which I don't know that I was anticipating when I woke up this morning. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on today, Matt. I'm very excited. I mean, the new transfer portal rules, uh, those are definitely leading to some stories, you know, draft opt-outs. I know we're having a lot of fun in the Slack channel anytime a quarterback enters a transfer portal. But, I mean, it's really just one of those big news days in college football. You know, conference championship week usually is the end for quite a few teams, and that's where players who are looking for their next step, it's the first day where they could really decide on their future. So plenty of news there. Um, but yeah, I don't know where you want to start. It's just going to be, I think it's going to be a fun time to talk about everything that's sort of going on. Yeah, I, I, we're going to get to some transfer portal stuff here in a minute, but there were a couple bigger stories than that that I think we need to start with. And I think the first one that we have to dive into is the fact that Jackson Smith and Jigba has announced that he will not be physically able to play in the college football playoff. This is something that should not be much of a surprise to anybody who's been p- paying attention. Obviously, he initially hurt his hamstring in the very first game of the season against Notre Dame. He tried to come back about six weeks later against Iowa on October 22nd. He played a few plays and then as we saw limped off the side of the field and was unable to go for the rest of that game or the rest of the regular season. By the time the college football playoff starts on December 31st, that'll be about nine weeks ish, give or take from the Iowa injury. But if you remember earlier in November, his father said that at best he'd be able to get back for the Michigan game and Ever since then, Ryan Day has kind of 
whenever he said like there isn't a decision, it's never sounded optimistic. So I feel like we kind of knew this was coming. There's a lot of people spouting off a lot of message board stuff on the internet talking about him quitting. I'm not even going to entertain that. We're going to talk about one of the biggest asshats in college football media who is on that train right now here in a little bit. But to me, Chris, it's just, it's sad. Like Jackson Smith and Jigbutt was such a unique and gifted talent in the Ohio State, not only roster, but in Ohio State history. Like his first catch at Ohio State, or his first touchdown catch at least, was one of the greatest things I've ever seen and maybe only surpassed by that insane sideline catch that Marvin Harrison Jr. had earlier this year. But really disappointed that we didn't get a, a full third year from him or really a third year at all. But if you're this injured, if you've been this up and down, if you've tried to come back to the field through the season and you're still probably pegged to be at least a first round pick and you can get yourself healthy for the combine, not take any risks trying to do anything crazy and maybe up your, your draft stock into the first half of the first round, guaranteeing yourself multiple more millions of dollars. I just, I can't be mad about it. Although I am disappointed for us as fans, for the program as a whole and for Jackson as well, who I know really wanted to be on the field this season. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest point I think a lot of people are missing here is the guy played a game against the Toledo Rockets. And I, I know any player who's necessarily thinking about opting out would not try to like effort out a game against Toledo if it was really all about the money. I think he did put an honest effort in getting back to playing on multiple occasions. And, you know, there are setbacks. Like the hamstring is a muscle group, and it is not one – that is easily fully recoverable. And a lot of the time, this is a injury that if you keep re-aggravating it, it continually gets worse until you need surgery. So I think avoiding surgery for him, him getting ready for the combine and all those NFL workouts, because I, I have the NFL rookie contract scale for 2023 pulled up. I say it was safe to assume he was a top 10 pick after the Rose Bowl game. He gets injured. He doesn't play much. So he falls from making close between 25 and 21 million a year projected to I saw him going to Minnesota, which would be $12 million. So he's already lost $9 million from attempting to play. And I think it's so disingenuous for the national media to forget his effort, trying to come back his effort to try to play again. And he cost himself millions of dollars by playing games this year. And I don't think a player of his caliber wants to not compete at this level. And I think at the end of the day, it really is unfortunate that we didn't get to see a, an effort after a real effort after his 15 capture and a 47 yard game in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. I I'm, I'm just kind of over all these people who are calling him soft and a quitter and, and all of that stuff that shows not only a, a lack of cognitive understanding about what actually happened this season. Like you mentioned, not only him coming back for Iowa, like I said at the beginning, but the fact that he played against Toledo, if he, like you said, if he, if he was just looking out for number one, Toledo was not a game that you would try to come back for. But then there's yeah, also, there's, there's just also kind of this, this mentality that these players don't care about their team and only care about themselves, even when they're making decisions that in my opinion are the right ones for their own personal and financial future. These players love each other. And, and, you know, obviously there is going to be outliers and people who don't get along or whatever, but like for the vast majority of it, college football players at Ohio state and nearly every other program, when they say brothers, like that's not just a talking point. They legitimately love each other because they've gone through something that is incredibly bonding, both emotionally and physically together. 
And like, I think it's just a, a complete disrespect for what these players go through and just them as human beings. Uh, so often we consider them just essentially like pieces of our own entertainment. And I'm just kind of annoyed and and tired of that because that's what's driving all of this. That's what's driving people who do not get to see a great player play for their favorite team. So they all of a sudden determine that he's a quitter, that he's not strong enough, that he's not good enough to play in the NFL, and that he's weak. And it's just it's obnoxious. It's it's ass hattery. It's it's the worst part of college or any sport, but especially college, because again, while these players are making some money via NIL and, and some of them are making a lot of money via via NIL NIL. They're still college football players. They're not yeah. professional players. Like this is, it's just ridiculous. And we mentioned it at the, at the beginning, Danny Cannell was being Danny Cannell and he sent out a tweet and I'll read it here. So Jackson Smith and Jigba basically opted out of this year without officially opting out of this year. I'd rather let players enter the NFL after two years than this type of shenanigans. Excuse me while I say this, Chris, but fuck you, Danny Cannell. Like, seriously, yeah. who who are you? Like, you're a college football guy. You played college football. You played in the NFL. First, you should know better than this. But secondly, you have a huge Twitter following. You have a serious XM daily sports talk show. You work for CBS Sports Television. How are you not understanding what he actually did throughout the year? He played in the first game, got hurt. Okay, if you want to say that he didn't play after that for the rest of the year uh, and he's opting out, okay, you're wrong, but that's fine. He played against Toledo. He came back a month and a half into the season, month actually more than a month and a half into the season, and played against Iowa. He didn't opt out the entire season. He hurt himself twice with, as you said, Chris, an injury that does not heal itself just in a couple weeks. So these people just all suck. I hate them all. And anybody who looks at a player who opts out for health reasons or for personal reasons and, and questions their, their will or their commitment, um, you suck too. So that's, uh, if you don't like it, whatever, go away. Um, if, if you, if you did the same thing, if you decided to leave and go to another job to take more money, no one is questioning your heart or commitment to your, to your coworkers. It's just not the same thing. So screw you. Sorry. I I'm getting a little frustrated here, Chris. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely (laughs) understand your frustration. Like Jackson Smith and Jigba came in with CJ Stroud. He came in with Julian Fleming. Like he came in with a lot of these guys. And like, I don't think a lot of people realize the bond that starts through the recruitment process. Like, C.J. Stroud isn't at Ohio State if it's not for Jackson Smith and Jigba and Julian Fleming. And I think the lack of awareness, like they just want to get their talking points in. They want to discuss these things in a way like it's really just Jackson Smith and Jigba is an example that they can use to like poke and prod some of their issues with college football. But I'll be one of those people. I'll be the first to say it. I will never blame a player for opting out. I will never blame a player for looking for himself in the future just because I like to watch him play. Like I'm going to follow Justin Fields for the rest of his career. And he battled through injuries. I respect him for that. But Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, his draft situation is different. He's already seen his draft stock hurt more, like passing up those opportunities to test well, passing up those opportunities for a few games. Like even the comparison, I think I've seen a lot of people say Jalen Waddle played throughout the playoffs. It's like, Jalen Waddle's doctors cleared him like in Jackson Smith and Jigba's statement. He said he's been discussing with his doctors the best course of action. And it's not to go play an incredibly physical sport, which it wasn't like a normal hamstring injury. Like it was caused by direct contact and being forced out of a comfortable position. Like this is a different type of hamstring injury 
And he has a lot to work towards still in his life, not just this short term. Like, and I think people see it through their fan perspective. And I understand the frustration. I wanted to see Jackson Smith and Jigba play too. Totally. But at the end of the day, it's not about that short term stuff. And to be honest, Ohio State what it isn't really losing much. We don't know what type of player Jackson Smith and Jigbo would be playing in these games. And we also have seen this offense be successful without them. It's just, it would be nice. And I still understand both sides of it, but Jackson Smith and Jigbo needs to think about himself and that's okay. It's not a problem because for, I mean, and I hate doing this, but for 110 years, college football players didn't have this level of security in themselves. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, if he was healthy enough to play, it would be better for him financially and in, in, in terms of NFL contract if he played, because showing that he is healthy, that will be better for him in terms of his draft stock than people having to question if he's injured or not. So if he was healthy to, and ready to play, I think he would play because that would ultimately be best for him as a person with his bond with his, his teammates and then also financially. So I think it's pretty clear that he is not able to go and I wish him the best. I wish he had played more this season at Ohio state, but based off of the success that all the other Ohio state receivers have had in the NFL in the past few years, he's probably going to go to the NFL and be really freaking good. And I'm going to enjoy watching him. Even if I don't really care about the NFL one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. And Hey, more NFL success means we get more players like Jackson Smith and Jigbin the program. So Best of luck to him healthy. Best uh, wishes for his health in the future. The other major story that came out of Ohio State on Monday was the fact that it is being reported that Kevin Wilson, Ohio State's offensive Ohio, Ohio State's offensive coordinator, has agreed to become the new head coach of the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, according to the sports director of a TV station in Tulsa. At first, you're like, really? Why would he go there? Then you remember that he was the offensive coordinator under Bob Stutz at Oklahoma for nine years. So he knows that area well. He has been at Ohio State since the Urban Meyer era after being forced out as a head coach at Indiana. Chris, I don't know that we'll ever really know how much of Ohio State's offensive success can be attributed to Kevin Wilson, just because Ryan Day is always going to get both the, the blame and the credit for what happens on offense. But I think he's probably deserves more than anybody has ever really given him credit for. Um, he's a guy who has always been a creative play caller, always been a creative schemer on offense. And uh, I do think that they will miss him at, at Ohio State. I think he is somebody who has kind of been a steadying force for Ryan Day in the early part of his coaching tenure. That being said, <laughs> nearly one year ago uh, to this point, I wrote an article and said that Ryan Day should let Kevin Wilson go. Uh, not because of anything necessarily that Kevin Wilson did poorly, although I don't think his development of tight ends, which is the specific uh, position group that he is responsible for, has been all that good. But you need to have somebody take over play calling. I've been on this train for over a year now, and this is the perfect opportunity for it. So before we get into who might replace him and who all of the fans assume is going to be promoted, which I think would be a horrible idea, um, what are your thoughts on Kevin Wilson leaving just as Ohio State's offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator, which he was at the time uh, when Ryan Day was an assistant? Um, what do you think about him leaving and what that means for the program, if anything at all? Yeah, I think this is a big opportunity point for Ohio State to kind of 
I, I don't want to say like rid itself of the final like Urban Meyer aspect. There's still guys on the staff from that era and productive coaches from that era as well. But Wilson, you know, his offensive capabilities, what he brought, like kind of did rejuvenate what Ohio State was doing. He came in with Ryan Day at the same time, if I recall, after moving on from Ed Warner and Tim Beck. But Wilson, he has he had a dynamic passing game in 2017. I don't think there's been a lot of change in those five years since then, despite having elite quarterbacks. He had a really in front of the wave of his own run scheme and the way they ran it back in 2018-19 was very productive and effective. You know, you move forward a couple of years, teams have learned how to defend that. And I just think there's been a lot of stagnation with Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson. So even if Ryan Day doesn't necessarily relinquish play calling duties, getting a new voice, getting some fresh ideas in the rooms, not always a bad idea. And I think that's something they can possibly do. And this is a huge opportunity for that. And I think what you were alluding to is a lot of people assume it's going to be an inside hire to retain Brian Hartline on the coaching staff and make him the offense coordinator. That would just create the same issues we've been having. Like passing game coordinator, run game coordinator, regardless of how much they actually do in those respected areas, neither of those units improved this year. They were much of the same and if not worse in some cases. So I I just think Kevin Wilson, the stagnation, the consistent staff, you know, it, it's it's great to have stability, but it's sometimes you need an influx of new ideas. And that's what this brings. Yeah. If you want to say that Brian Hartline is the co-offensive coordinator and you bring somebody else in to be like the main offensive coordinator and let them call plays. Fine. Do, do whatever you have to do to keep Brian Hartline in Columbus. I'm totally fine with that. But to bring him in and have him be the only offensive coordinator to be the person technically in charge of the offense, even though we know Ryan Day will in every imaginable situation retain play calling duties if Brian Hartline is the offensive coordinator. That is not only a missed opportunity, it is a dereliction of duty. If Ryan Day is not self-aware enough to understand that there needs to be a change in that front moving forward at Ohio State, then we need to have that conversation about whether or not he is the guy for the future of the program. I have written in articles after the Michigan game that I think we need to give Ryan Day the opportunity to continue to grow. We have to remember he had never had head coaching experience when he took over for Ohio State. His first job as a head coach was in the three games when he had to spell Urban Meyer during his suspension in 2018, and then he took over in 2019. So there are going to be growing pains. We didn't see them as much in his first season or two, partially because of COVID and partially because everybody else they played sucked. Um, we're starting to see them now, and if he can't do the hard work of evaluating himself and making those changes, that's a problem. But I think we have to give him the opportunity to do that. This is a major change. I think he passed the test last offseason by essentially clearing house on the defense side of the ball other than um, Larry Johnson. Whether that has been completely successful at this point, probably not. But again, expecting a complete turnaround in one year is not, is, is you know, that's foolish. But we have yeah, to- Yeah, not a sane way to think. <laughs> yeah, but we have to be able to see 
him do the same thing on offense. I know offense is his baby, but you've got to get somebody else in there to call plays. I've written about this. I've talked about this. It's not just a Ryan Day thing. I don't think head coaches should call plays at all. I mean, if you want to do it for the first couple of years, fine, because it's you're easing into that position. But after the third year, you've got too much other stuff to do. Let somebody else do it. I also am a big believer that play callers need to be upstairs. There's a reason that when you break down film, you break down the all 22. It's because you can see things better. By having somebody calling plays on the sideline who can't see everything, You've been on sidelines. I've been on sidelines. You can't see shit from the sidelines. You can't. You're so, really just looking at the game from such like a microscopic yeah. view when you're on the sideline that like you can't like and I think that's why Ohio State struggles a lot in situational footballs because Ryan Day has to see what's going on down there. He has to get what's going on upstairs with Kevin Wilson, what the guys in the booth are seeing. Then he has to think after he gets that information rather than someone just being up there getting that information and making a call. And then, you know, Brian Day still would have his input in there. Like we're no one yeah, saying yeah. he's going to have no say in what goes on in the offense. He's still going to be the person who creates it. He's still going to be the person who has all the schemes employed, but having some guy like, it's like, I use this comparison. Uh, I think it was on buck off last week, but on a racing team, the people who create the car aren't the same people driving it. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think this is just one of those things where we have to give Ryan Day the opportunity to make the change. If he doesn't, then we can have that conversation then. But I understand the idea behind promoting Brian Hartline, and it very well might be he did not take the Cincinnati job because he knew Kevin was probably leaving and he knew that there would be some sort of promotion in line for him. That's fine, but he cannot be the guy running the offense. He just can't. And it's not because... I don't think he's capable of doing it, but it's just like Ryan Day being a first-time head coach. Brian Hartline's never been anything more than a, than a wide receivers coach. And granted, he's a great wide receivers coach. He was a great wide receiver, but you have to have experience to do this at this level. And Ryan Day is getting his his head coaching experience on the job, which is not ideal, but it's what we've got. And he can't bring somebody in to do the same thing at the most important assistant coaching position that he's got. So yeah. And think about like how much we kind of went in on Clemson for promoting from within after they lost their coordinators multiple times. Like there's a reason there's a lot of I what what's the word? Just lack of change in general at Clemson right now. Why their offense has been so like, bad recently. Yeah. Stagnation. Yeah. yeah. And it's because they keep hiring from within. And I think there is like some semblance, like you would like to keep it all Buckeyes and have this Ohio State personality behind it. But at the end of the day, like there are ideas outside of the Ohio State sphere that are good. And I would like to see more of those. And I think there's some Me names too. that have been thrown around in the chat that have been good. Like Garrett Riley's a guy at like Lincoln I, I Riley's brother, this. Lincoln yeah, Riley's Lincoln brother, Riley's brother. And he's much more reserved than Lincoln Riley. He's got a much different personality. And I think all this guy wants to do is destroy opponents. And I think I kind of missed that about Ryan day once he took the head coaching job. So Garrett <laughs> Riley's a name. There's plenty of coaches at the G five level who are in and out of jobs right now. So I think there's some places to look. I, I think Garrett Riley's a tough sell just because <laughs> he's the offensive coordinator at TCU. So like, I don't know that he's leaving TCU to come to Ohio state, especially when both teams are in the playoff. Maybe, maybe. Um, but he was, he was at SMU first. He was at TCU now. Um, so we'll see, but like, there's, there's guys out there. Um, and you know, I would not be opposed to Kevin Wilson taking some of the assistant coaches as well. We've already seen some of the, 
the QC coaches, the quality control coaches, some of the the other staffers leave to go join. Um, who was it? Was it Trent Dilfer's staff uh, somewhere? Like yeah. a bunch of guys have left to go be with Trent Dilfer. Good for you. Like that's what you want because those are the type of guys who go and get experience and maybe someday come back to Ohio State. But if Kevin Wilson wants to take some of these guys who've been at Ohio State for a long time, maybe guys who were still part of the Urban Meyer uh, administration, that's fine. Not because I don't think they're great. I like, I mean, if we're talking about the Urban Meyer era. Like his son-in-law is still on the staff. And if Corey Dennis goes to be the offensive coordinator at Tulsa, I'll be happy about that. Not because I don't think Corey Dennis is a good coach. Every uh, quarterback who's come through Ohio State has raved about him. But like you just need that that influx of new ideas and new blood and more experience too. So uh, I I I think that this is a good thing if if Ryan Day handles it well. And based off what he did last year, I think he can do it. It's a little bit more sensitive because it's offense. But we'll wait and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of options. So I think. As long as he shows a willingness to change a little bit, I think our staff would be happy. Yes, and that's really all that matters is that the Land Grant Holy Land staff is appeased by high state heads coaches' uh, staffing decisions. That's all that matters. All right, there was a little bit other news. As you mentioned at the top of the show, there was some transfer portal stuff happening on Monday. In terms of Buckeyes who are heading out of the program, the first that we heard about is safety Jalen Johnson. He was a three-star player in the 2021 class. He was number 406 nationally, number 12 player from the state of Ohio, from Cincinnati LaSalle. He tore his ACL during his freshman year, did not play, and he did not get on the field in this second season. So makes sense. Um, if he goes back home and plays at Cincinnati for uh, the new head coach there, great. Good for him. Uh, wish him the best. The one that's a, not necessarily more surprising, but is a guy who has had a role on the team in past years is Taraja Mitchell, who is a linebacker who has played a bit throughout his career, but he's only, this is his fourth year in the program, but he's only actually ever had a full season in 2021 where he played in 11 games. In the past, it was five games in 2019, three games in 2020, four games this season. He's been injured a lot. He came in very highly regarded. And I think he's somebody who, if he gets healthy and can go find a place to play, uh, I think he has a chance to still contribute and even make the NFL. He's a guy who I think got squeezed out by going to the 4-2-5 in Jim Knowles' system, not having three linebackers on the field, and he was still injured quite a bit this season. Um, really hurt. And I'll be honest with you. I did not expect him to come back for 2022. I had, I think I'd even written that. I assumed that he had, he would leave either for the Porter or try the NFL after being able to play 11 games last season. But, um, I wish him the best. I, you understand defensive play a lot better than I do. And with breaking down the film and stuff, I, I just don't feel like Taraji Mitchell really fits what Ohio state is looking for in a linebacker anymore. Yeah. I think, I don't think he really did. Uh, once Ohio State shifted to what more what Jeff Halfley was doing with that four two five, when they decided to go more with that nickel safety and that corner look, even even all the way back kind of, to even all the way back to Jeff Halfley, yeah, like because we like the way linebackers have played now, like even like looking back at it, it's you need to be able to do more. And Taraja Mitchell is a classic dumper, and I think he him kind of going through all those coaching changes and all that stuff stunted his growth, and now like. We're all looking at it. We see guys like CJ Hicks on the roster. We see guys like even Cody Simon behind Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. Like there are, they're more capable at moving sideline to sideline. They're more capable of kind of just, yeah, at the end of the day, he's just not a do it all type of linebacker, which I think this defense needs more 
now than ever. And I think Jim Knowles has players he's probably going to target in the transfer portal to like stiffen up this room. He's got young guys who are coming up. And I think that's really what you need at this point. Linebackers can't be uh, one trick ponies anymore. They need to be versatile. Like that was one thing a lot of people were worried about with Tommy coming into this year. Does he have the athleticism to cover side to side? <laughs> he proved he that he does. He <laughs> yeah. yeah. He proved that he does. And I, I just don't think that's where Taraja Mitchell fits in this plan anymore. He doesn't have really a fit in the plan. And you see this every single year with players kind of once they get passed up by younger guys, there's really not a place in the future plans for him. He did his thing on special teams. He was crucial on there. It'll be interesting to see how they fill in for him on kickoff and punt coverage with uh, the playoff on the horizon. Mm -hmm. But that's that's more replaceable. And, like, if we're being honest, a lot of guys could run down on kickoff. That's not something that's necessarily going to be missed. The Jalen Johnson one kind of falls in the same vein. It's just more of a younger guy. You know, Sonny Styles comes in. He's contributing immediately. Kai Stokes kind of supersedes him right away as a true freshman. Like there's already young safeties kind of getting into the mix there. And there's guys who are going to be there for another year or two. So there's just not really, it just all comes down to these guys making a decision that will get them on the field and play. And, you know, Luke Fickle just took the job at Wisconsin. He was very high on Jalen Johnson out of high school. Maybe he had a place he could go. Uh, We saw Dallas Gant last year to use a linebacker example, go to Toledo and have an impact on a Mac. Yeah. He had an impact on a Mac championship squad. Like, there are places for these guys to go, and I don't know uh, a lot of G5 teams who have a player of Taraja Mitchell's level. So I think you'll have plenty of suitors in the portal. Yeah, there there were 667 players who entered the transfer portal on Monday. That's as of recording time at 5.42 p.m. 62 of them were quarterbacks. Um, we'll have plenty of time to break down who Ohio State might bring in via the portal. We're on the new transfer portal season now when you have certain windows of days when you can do it. So maybe we'll, we will hear about it sooner rather than later. But um, I think there will need to be some guys that the Buckeyes add. I think, uh, like you said, linebacker, I think you've got to go out and get corners. I think you need to have a, an experienced quarterback as well. Um, even if it's a chugging off kind of guy, somebody who can come in, run the yeah, scout team. Yeah, give him some competition. Somebody who's played a little bit, but understands what his role is going to be at Ohio State and can be there to be a backstop even if either Kyle McCord or Devin Brown either don't make it or one of them decides to leave. Um, I think you have to have a stopgap in between them and uh, Dylan Rayola coming in after them. But uh, we'll see. There'll be plenty of time to talk about that. But um, Chris, anything else from today that you think we need to we need to go over? Anything from Ryan Day's Sunday press conference or anything like that? Uh, no, I think uh, I think I was reading back some of my articles last week, some of the articles in Land Grant Holy Land's feed. And I just, uh, this is just kind of a thought, like, it's funny how, like, defeated some of those articles were ending, the look in the mirror, we got to get to next year, see what happens, what Ryan Day does in the offseason. And now there was just a complete 180 with Sunday's decision to put Ohio State in the playoffs. And now there are fans out there, writers out there convincing themselves, Ohio State's going to beat Georgia. And I think that's a fun, I think it's exciting. I think it rejuvenated me a little bit. The college football season's long. It wears on all of us, but we enjoy it. And you need a shot of life every once in a while. And Ohio State, you know, there's a reason they play the game. So, mm-hmm. well, and, and that's what's one. 
that's what's great about being a fan blog like Land Grant is. We are not beat writers. We we are not paid to be objective. We're not really paid all that much to begin begin with anyway. But we're not beat reporters. Um, we can go with these wild swings of emotions, and it makes complete sense because we're all fans. But I also think that it's not these things aren't mutually exclusive. Like you can still think that there are issues that Ohio State and Ryan Day need to correct for the 2023 season, but still be super excited about their opportunities to 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 win in the 2022 season. I still think they are. I mean, other than maybe Georgia and maybe including Georgia, I think they're the most talented team in the country. So if they can get some things right, if they can get healthy, I, I personally don't think Travion Henderson is going to play either in uh, in the in the Peach Bowl. But if you give me a Mayan Williams that is. 90 to 95 to hundred percent healthy. Like that completely changes what the offense is. And that gives me plenty to look forward to and be excited about. So I'm fine with having these wild swings. That's part of being a fan, but it also is part of the fact that these aren't pros. Like it makes sense that you're going to have to continue to improve things over the course of time. Um, and I hope that they can do that over the next month and that they can beat Georgia. I used to live in North Georgia in the, in the Atlanta suburbs. I hate, Georgia fans because of that. And then of course beat Michigan in the, in the playoff to really make that an unbelievable 180 degree turn in the course of a month. That would be absolutely bonkers. And it would be my favorite thing to happen in many, many, many years. Yeah. And with that, even if there is a full 180 degree change, I'm still calling for a lot of things for Ryan. Day 100%. The, the, what happens throughout the rest of the season does not negate everything that happened before it. We've seen things that have to be changed and maybe they can fix some of those things over the next four weeks, five weeks, great. If they do that, that's awesome. But I don't think they're going to fix all of them. And I don't think that they can change all of them because some of them are very systemic in terms of how they do things. Some of them are personnel that they have to to fix through the offseason and through recruiting and through the portal. But I'd be very happy if they fix a lot of them and they win a national championship because, like we said, I'm an alum, I'm a fan, and I don't have to pretend like I'm unbiased because I'm absolutely not in any way, shape, or form. All right, that's all that we have for you today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in conversation. If you are listening to this through the website, landgrantholyland.com, please make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We are cranking out multiple episodes every single day throughout the rest of this month leading up to the college football playoff. Not only will we always have our football conversations, analysis, and interviews and perspectives and all of that, but with men's and women's basketball teams tipping off as well, we will have even more stuff to make you the most informed Buckeye fan possible. If you're on Twitter, don't forget to follow us at landgrant 33 you can find me at BWW Matt. Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at Chris Rennie CFB. You can find me writing a couple articles every week. Uh, and then you can find me on the Buck Off podcast every Friday at Buck Off Pod on Twitter as well. So uh, make sure you're following all those if you want a lot of my not fully, um, <laughs> a lot of sarcastic posts about college football. Yes, there's a lot of that. All right, everybody, have a wonderful rest of your Tuesday. We'll be back to talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks. Thank you.